Did anyone uh, did anyone do any um, Ash Wednesday celebration or thought through? Thursday. Oh, I thought you were correcting me. I was like, no, it's it's Wednesday, but that's okay. I don't. I mean, that's fine. Whatever you want to think, it's cool. How'd it go? Great. Yeah. What what was the what? How, tell me about it. Well, we were at Mark and Karen. Okay. Nice. <laughs> cool. They went well? They, you were once ashes and ashes you will return? Awesome. Good. Nice. Nice. We did a, um, at our house, we did a, you said, I ashed everyone. I had the ash power. That's cool. Good for you. We had a, we did a little bit different at our house. We, I didn't want to, I just didn't want to get out. And so we, um, we did an Ash Wednesday at our house and I tried not to have like high hopes on doing something that would be like meaningful with the boys. So the four-year-old and the two-year-old can dash my high hopes so quickly. And so I was like, okay, we can do this. So what we did is we just asked each other to forgive us. And then if the person said, I forgive you, they put Ash on your forehead. So it was really, it was really sweet. And the boys were just ready to forgive us so they could ash our foreheads. They were like, they were like, I forgive you. I, I was like, I'm not done apologizing to you. And he was like, okay, all right. He's like, put that bowl in front of me. I'm going to put my ash finger on your head, you know. So it was, it was pretty funny. And then they, they sure tried to think of lots of things to forgive each other on so they could ash each other's foreheads like crazy. But it was sweet. It was good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, a, a small, small bit about Ash Wednesday. As we're going into uh, one of our Lent passages. So turn to Matthew 4. Or actually Matthew 3. Um, so, so real quick about Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is it's many things. And you can go to any um, former site or church history book or anything else. And it's going to tell you a bunch of different things. But one of the things, the most powerful things about Ash Wednesday to us is that yes... We are reminded by a person, usually that we care about very much, Meg, for some of you, um, a father in our house, or our sons in, in our house, or Lily, <coughs> saying, um, you were once dust, and that's where we're headed. That's us. And that can sound so nihilistic, right, and sad, and dramatic, right, you know, but it, but it can also be this really beautiful thing to remind us that for our time here, we get to live a certain way. We get to live a repentant life, and we get to forgive while we're here. We, we don't have to live this life of holding things over people. We don't have to live this life of people holding it over us. We don't have to live this life of just disappointment for this time between ash and ash, between dust and dust, right? We don't have to do that. Um, and I think that's beautiful, and I, and I think part of the ways we celebrate that is through fasting, starting on Ash Wednesday. For 40 days, we, we fast, or for 30, 35 days, 34 days, because Sundays are feast days, right? So celebrating that is important um, because of kind of the tone it sets us to celebrate Lent together, all right? So one of the first first passages that people will read during Lent is this Matthew 3 passage. So what did we talk about last week? During baptism, what are some things we discussed not during a baptism? While we were discussing baptism, what are some things we discussed about Jesus' baptism? Anyone remember any 
Or it wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago. So that's cheating. But does anyone remember anything? <laughs> yes, prophecy fulfillment. <coughs> what else? Go ahead. Uh, you can. You can. You, you talked about how uh, you know it, it represents different things within different denominations. Right. Right. The, the way we show baptism would represent different things. So when, when, does anyone remember what happens when Jesus comes out of the water? The dove comes down and it's the Holy Spirit. And right. Says something, this, is, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased, which is the same word for being pleased that we use two other times. Right. This rare thing that happens. So God says from, just almost said from the cloud. Who knows? So just the voice of God appears when Jesus comes out of the water, which is interesting. And, you know, we, we read that story and we're like, oh yeah, of course, that happens. But if that happened today, it'd be very strange. We would probably want to discount it somewhere or not enjoy it. You know, maybe we would, but it's very odd. And it's, Jesus comes out of the water. The voice from heaven says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Again, that word pleased is important. Happens two other times in scripture. Once when Jesus is transfigured. God says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then once when Jesus tells us that don't worry, little flock. My father's pleased to give you the kingdom. Pleases my father for you to have it, right? For you to have it in your hands, in your grasp. It's beautiful. So that happens, right? Jesus has this huge moment. It's special. It's beautiful, right? The expectation would probably be, you know, he go change the world now. Let's do this, right? You've been baptized. The dove descends on you. I don't know what that looks like either. I don't know if uh, really just a bird came down or like what? I, who knows what that looks like? I'm sure in our heads it's a different picture, but. This happens, and then so what does Jesus do directly after that to like celebrate? He goes to the desert. He goes to the desert, and what happens there? He's tempted. Okay, let's read that because <laughs> it's like that. That was a bad choice. Like, go save everyone now. Let's go do this. Go heal a bunch of people. Instead, he goes to the desert. Then Jesus was led away by the Spirit into the desert. <clears throat> to be tempted by the devil. Now, real quick, um, I want to say this about this this idea, and we're not going to spend a bunch of time on this because we don't need to like today. We don't need to, you know, look through the whole wording and history of this view, of this view, this Jewish view of a devil or a Satan in the Old Testament or whatever. But the idea here is this: the idea is somewhere between um, an overwhelming inward uh, think of the best way to say it an, over, an overly inward idea of antagonist and a real figure Okay, because in the Old Testament if you, if you read about the Satan but it's like in it's the Satan it's, it's just an accuser that's, that's mostly it throughout the Old Testament it's not this picture that we have in our head of like the embodiment of evil it's just the accuser it's like part of, part of the way the world works. You have an accuser, you have a defender, you have in court, you have someone that accuses and someone that defends and someone that judges, right? In the Old Testament, that's usually the way it seems to go. It's just the accuser does things and the defender does things and when those things come about, the one who judges takes care of it and it falls into place, right? It's an order of that way. 
As you move into the New Testament, you've had hundreds of years of this interbiblical period where the view of this accuser has changed and moves and, and becomes more of a tempter in a lot of ways, or it becomes more of an embodiment of something, but not yet. It's not like Dante's Inferno yet. We're not, we're not there. That's thousands of years, not thousands, like, what, 1,200, 1,400 years from now. So we're not there, okay? It's not like the one who is one being that does all of the destruction quite yet. We're, we're getting there and like the way people see evil and the way people see a devil or a Satan in the Old Testament or whatever else, but we're not there. So when we're seeing this Satan figure, or the devil is translated in, in the New International Version, it's, it's not the one in your head, okay? If anything, it's some cross between an embodiment of something and kind of our own desires or our own self or just the world's way of pulling away from the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. Just to be overly, overly simplistic. Does that make sense? Okay, let's get that going before we get in there. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Where else do we see 40 days and 40 nights in Scripture? Noah, it rains a long time, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Where else do we know? Yep, right? They go in the desert for how long? It's 40 years. A bunch. So here's, here's what I want to say about this. This very well may be 40 days. That's awesome. That's fine. It very well could be that it rained for straight away 40 days. And really the entire world was covered. That's fine too with me. The Israelites really could have been in the desert for 40 years. Although probably quite a bit longer than that. But that's fine too. That's fine. The reality though about this, this time, this 40 days in the desert, is this idea of it's a long time. Okay? A long time. Maybe 40 days. Maybe 140 days. Maybe 31 days, right? But it's a very long time. A long enough time to stop trying to tell people it's 43 and a half days, right? Or it's... That's, that's the idea here, okay? So we can, we can get in our head that we should all fast for 40 days from something, and that's cool. The idea here, though, is it was a long time that Jesus was fasting, okay? So he's fasting for 40 days, um, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is important because Jesus does feel hunger, and that's important uh, when this was written, because it was explaining that he wasn't just God, but also man. So that's more than likely why that's in there, if Matthew's writing it. Um, and then uh, the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, away from me, 
Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. And then right after this, he goes and gets disciples, and he starts proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So that happens directly following this. So what leads, what leads Jesus to go to the desert? Spirit, right? Is it a religious holiday where they're going to fast at this point? No. It's not like they don't, you know, it wasn't Lent time for him. Right? The Holy Spirit seems to just grab Jesus, leads him, not really, grabs his heart and leads Jesus to go to the desert and fast. Go away and fast. Here's why I think that is so important for us. Um, I mean, first of all, our life pace is outrageous. Outrageous. Um, the Boydmans had to, to listen to our lament about our life pace and craziness and how ridiculous it is. And when they left, I was just, sorry, when they left, I was overwhelmed with this idea of like the Holy Spirit calling Jesus to the desert, calling Jesus away, calling Jesus to to forego something he's used to. To forego. And this, this idea of that, we get to celebrate it together in Lent. We get to say, okay, away from everything. And a lot of times for us, we're, we're going to keep our schedule. You're going to keep going to work, more than likely. If you have 40 days off, you can take it work. You should, because that's awesome. <laughs> but you probably don't. I don't, for sure. But part of that getting away is our fasting. Part of that getting away is saying, okay, this part of my life will not be a part of it anymore. Whether it be a meal of the day or 40 days of fasting without something or I'm not eating this or I'm not you know, watching this or I won't have Instagram or I won't, whatever it is for us, whatever that daily is that's a part of us to say, no, I will forego that for this, this 40 day stretch for us. And it's important because Jesus doesn't just decide to go there, right? It doesn't say Jesus on his own accord decided it was time to go to the desert. Or the apostles, or he didn't even have them yet, but the disciples are going to go to the desert. And so Jesus went along as well because he wanted to be a part of the community and enjoy the season of desert together, right? None of that happens. It's just the Holy Spirit and Jesus decide now's the time. Let's go to the desert. And I think, I think that's important for us because we, again, celebrate this, this calendar time. That's great. That's fine to do that. And it's important. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus decide. Goes into the desert. And what's this first temptation? Yeah. What, what else about the food? Why is food a temptation at this point? Hungry. He's hungry. All right. Possibly, yeah. It's just a body, right? What else? What else about it is intriguing that that's the first one? It's a basic need. It's very basic, right? It's just food. And how, how is the temptation said? Which, again, is funny, too. Turn it from a rock. Right. Make this be this, right? Which is so interesting to me. I mean, the temptation could have been call an angel to come give you your food, right? It could have been, 
would you like some food, <laughs> right? That could have been it too. But instead, it's make this into that. What does that say? Why is that interesting or unique? What, what, could, that, what could that mean? Why is that a temptation that's different from saying, if you'll just ask me, I'll give it to you, right? What's, what's the difference there? I randomly read something about this last night. Do it. By Richard Foster. Um, and he was talking about how it was like maybe a, an economic symbol. Like later he's going to turn lots of, you know, fish and loaves into quite a bit. And this represents maybe even an economical, like, well, if you're the son of God, you can give everybody food all the time and that'll bring salvation, right? And his response is, it's more than that. And it's not to live by this thing you're saying I should be able to live by, this power you are trying to tell me that I have. Okay, that's, that's what I wanted. I'm so glad you said that. So, I'm serious. I'm serious. That's beautiful. I love Richard Foster also. And that's like seared into my memory. So we're, we're going right there, which is perfect. So Jesus later feeds everyone fish sandwiches, right? He turns three loaves or five loaves and three fish, depending on which story it is. He turns it into fish and bread for everyone, thousands of people, right? And they eat. Then he goes away. And what happens? They come over to him again. And what do they want? No more food. They're hungry. They're starving. They're impoverished. They need food, more of it. And they say, please, can we have more? Do that again. What does Jesus say? Do you remember that story? He says, you came to me because you wanted the fish and the loaves. Then he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? And they say, whoa. <laughs> Pump the brakes. <laughs> We're not that hungry, number one. And this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Is the response. And they all leave. Everybody. What they wanted was this easy fulfillment of body. Is it? They want their stomachs full. They want to not worry about the next meal. They want just their basic thing provided for with ease. Or they wanted a way to provide it. Right? The offer here is for Jesus to provide for himself. That's it. Turn this into bread. I know you can, so turn it into bread. Be self-sufficient. Have this for yourself. This is all you need. You just need, you're hungry. You just need a sandwich, right? And this, this idea for us, why we fast so much of the time, why we should fast, is to remind us that we are not self-sufficient, that we don't have to be, that it's okay to not make that money into bread right away, that it can be something different. Maybe, maybe something like Jesus actually says, what does he say? We don't live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Maybe it's possible in saying, no, I don't need bread, to actually be hungry for something else. Maybe that's why we fast. To remind us that that hunger for bread is how I should feel for the very words and whisper and exhale of God. Maybe if I felt that way for the, the breath of God, I would be full of it. Maybe that's part of the temptation. Maybe that's why we fast. Maybe that's part of this whole Lenten idea of in between dust and dust, we live by the bread of God's voice. We live by his exhale, right? Breathes on us and gives us life. We continue to live by that daily, every day. Daily, every day. You know what I mean?
but to live by this. It had this idea, like Richard Foster says, of maybe this is so similar to what Jesus is going to tell them, the people. No, you're not living by that. You're living by my flesh and my blood. You're not living by this fish and these loaves. Live by myself, my very essence. Have it in you. Take it. Right? This idea. And then it goes on from there. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. You're the son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What is this, what is this temptation, this desire to fulfill doing? What's, what's the, what does this mean? Why is that important? This one's a harder one, I think, for us to relate to because it seems so I don't know, plain, right? Stand on the temple and throw yourself down to see if God will catch you. Kind of deal? Like, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> but what's the temptation there? Is it like power? Hmm? Is it power? Some of it is. What else? Why would it be power? To, I don't know, show people that he has these godly powers, you know, at the temple. And to control God's power even, too, right? I'll show you to save me, right? What else? I think it's interesting, like, right after the first temptation, Jesus' response is by providing God's word as a rebuttal. Right. This time... Satan, that Satan figure, provides scripture as a way to tempt him to say, hey, it's written here that this is what you can do. Right. Do it. Um, and Jesus rebuts it by saying it's not, it's not correct. It's not what that passage means, right? <laughs> We've never heard that. <laughs> I don't think that's what that means. <laughs> this, God, won't, God won't let you. He'll send his angels concerning you. He won't let you be hurt. Throw yourself down from here. Jesus like, I don't think that's what that means. What's that this? What else? What else is interesting about this temptation? Because really, it sounds like you're trusting God to do something to me. I mean, trusting that God will rescue Trusting that if you do something, God will be there to catch, right? Why is that not this? Why is that not what Jesus is doing? So think about it, think about it this way. We've probably all, maybe not, we've at least heard this at some point. We, we've heard people in their thought line this way. We, we've heard people saying, oh, I'm just going to go for it. We'll see if God blesses it or something, right? I'm just going to do this. We'll see how it goes. God won't let us, truly, fail or whatever else, right? I think, I think part of the idea here is, again, this, this idea of it's, it's just one step removed from this self-sustaining life, right? I'll create my own bread. I'll, I'll make sure God takes care of me. I'll make it so. It says he will. I can do whatever I please. I can do whatever I desire. I'll stand in the middle of a holy place where lots of folks are and I'll just throw myself down. And God will save me. I'm a son. I'll do what I'll do. God will forgive, right? 
Yes, I'll enact against God's way, against the kingdom. Yes, I will love things that God does not love and want me to give my heart to. But in the end, it'll be fine, right? God will take care of us. I'll raise my kids however I want. I won't put any thought into it. I'll just do what comes to me in the moment. Surely God will take care of them and end up making them all right, right? You know? I know I'm supposed to love my wife and to serve her like it's the only thing I owe in the whole world. I know I'm supposed to do that. We made a vow. It'll be fine, right? This idea that we have that it's going to, God will just make it so. We can still do what we want to do. Want to jump from a steeple? We can jump from a steeple. If we want to directly go against God's way for our family and worship money, then surely God will still bless us and help us have a nice, normal life and make sure we, we'll just make sure we pray before bed. It's this idea that our entire culture lives by. This is the one to me that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so pervasive and prevalent within us. We'll just do as we wish. God will send angels concerning us and not let us strike our head too hard on the stone. This temptation, Jesus says, no, don't put your Lord of the God to the test. Paul says, I'll work out my salvation with fear and trembling, actually. Right? This answer of, oh no, it's important for me to know I'm on the path with Jesus, that I'm with him always. It is important to me that I think through this and am wise about my faith. It is important to me that I do everything I possibly can to love my parents and honor them because the Bible's not joking when it says it. And when, the, when scripture says it's better for you to love your wife, I should learn how. Because, yeah, it is written that God won't let me, you know, strike my head against the stone. But it's also written, don't test things because God will give you also what you want. And it's this idea that we, it's this, Jesus understands the serious of the matter of, of following the ways of God at all times. And say, no, I will go God's way. And then we move on. I spent too much time on that. We go on and it says, Again, the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms, all the splendor of the world, and said, I will give this to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's the the temptation here in our own words? What's interesting or unique about it? Wealth. Wealth? What else? I mean, this is kind of the general belief that you know, the Savior is going to come down and rule the world, right? Right. And so um, the, the idea that he's going to get his, his worldly reward of, of inheriting everything. Right. Um, but in doing so, we, we look at Jesus' character. He came to serve, not to be served. And it's the exact opposite of his purpose here. Because what do the disciples think we're doing, still even up to the crucifixion? What do they think Jesus is going to do? He's going to defeat Jerusalem. the Romans. Yeah. They're going to take Jerusalem first, and they're going to own it all again, right? They're going to return to splendor. 
It's this direct idea. You're exactly, I think that's such a, uh, yeah, I think it's right on to say that this is kind of what every, at the time, every Jewish boy would hope Jesus does. They're like, no, really, let's do it. <laughs> I don't know how the Satan is involved with that, but let's do it. Let's have all those things. Because that's what God wants for us, is to, to win, right? To be right. To have our political way be everyone's political way. To, to make sure our way of thinking about baptism is the way everyone thinks about baptism. Let's win now, right? Let's, let's evangelize and wrestle them intellectually till they submit this, this strange way that his disciples even are going after Jesus to do. Okay, let's go take the Romans, right? Even at the end, Peter cuts this guy's ear off, right? At the end when they're going to take Jesus, which means he misses, you know. He didn't win. Just cut the guy's ear off. And it's frustrating to everyone. Right? <laughs> Jesus is like, ah, stop. Put his ear back on. Said it wasn't like that. Please don't picture it that way. Right? <laughs> but, but it's that, this idea of it can be God's way to have everything. Right? It can be God's way for our way to win. That is, that is what I find so interesting lately about... And we're not, I don't need to get in this. We talk about it as our church, probably a little heavy. I don't think too much. I don't think too much, but heavy. This idea of, of faith inundating our politics in the way we've decided that it should. Because both sides of us, in our faith side even, want everyone to agree and we want to win, right? We want to own the thought and the rules. And the, that's this. That's what the disciples wanted also. And Jesus says, you have no idea why I'm here still came to subversively do this from within. I came for a third way. I didn't come for us to be in charge again. He said, you're not ever going to be to the disciples. In fact, you were all going to be stretched out and killed with me. In fact, that's how this subversive way is going to go. And Jesus sees that that is his way and the devil says, no, there's another way. There's another way. You can just have it. You can have both. You can, you can have this great life with the Father that you want and still win and be in charge and be the most popular. And you can be wealthy. Whatever, whatever that may be for us. Whatever that desire is to have this and that, right? Because again, I don't think it's wrong to have some of those things. I do believe it's clearly wrong to want them both. To say, no, I can have this and this. We should struggle always with, with having this, these things and beauties outside of that Jesus had. And then also Jesus. We should struggle with that and wonder why. We should have debates about that in our heads. We should have struggling thoughts as we lay in bed thinking about our whole life too dramatically. That should be where we think about this, right? That should be it. And instead, we so quickly submit to, oh, I can have both. That's okay. I can have the splendor and the glory. I can have the, the fame as well. I can have all these things that weren't a single part of Jesus' life, but it's very much okay. And we easily submit to this. And the disciples were ready to. They were like geared up to submit to this one. That's part of why I say too that the idea of Satan or the devil here isn't, isn't a 
necessarily a figure to bow down to, a person to choose to worship instead, but a system, a way, a part of ourselves even that we want, right? We have James even say it later when it's this idea of we're led away by our own desires and then tempted by things. You remember? That's the way it goes. It's us that starts it kind of thing. It's this. That's, that's why I think we fall into this one so easily. Because it's us that wants all those things. It is. You can't blame that on this devil. No, we want that. I do. I want people to think I'm great. Me. They didn't start that with me. That's crazy. The Satan, whatever it is, you know? And that, I, this, this is hard. So what, what I want to say with all of this, these temptations, is not to just, again, beat this story to death, but see that this is us. This is our, this is our life. This is, this is why we would desert. This is why we would fast. To be able to remember and look hard at these temptations. To be hungry a little bit, and to realize that I have not hungered that way for any exhale from God. To hunger and to be alone a little bit and know that I cannot dictate the will of God. And that I cannot just live my way and trust that God will make it right in the end. But that's not it. That's not the true way of the kingdom of heaven. That's not the way of the Jesus we follow. And to be alone and hungry and want, and to be to be a little blue, right? To put ourselves back to remember dust and dust, and then find that the temptation really is to have all the things everyone else should have, right? That is every person's right to achieve in the American way, right? This this idea to say, is that really what is expected? Do we expect that from God? We expect it not to be that hard. We expect to get a little bit of notoriety in the mix of whatever. We expect to also have plenty of money to send our kids to college so they don't have to have the debt we did. That's what we expect. That's the way it should go. Really. All of these things we look at in Lent. And we say, Jesus, we are with you. We are with you in, our, our, in your way of baptism. We are with you when the Father said... I'm well pleased. You said he's pleased with us too. So we're with you. We also need to be with Jesus in the desert. We need to understand and look straight away at these things. These temptations of ours in our life in the face. And see where we are full on (laughs) succumbing, succumbing, succumbing to them and when we are full on speaking them to each other. Where am I full on helping Lily to think that this is the way, you know? And I just want us to look at that as we enter this season and remind ourselves that, that Jesus faced these things. That it must have been tempting in some way to have bread and to be able to make it yourself or it wouldn't have been brought up in the first place. It must have been important for Jesus to get to do a little bit whatever he desires on his own and trust that God will just make it right, right? Must have been tempting for him to also want Rome to know that their nation was the nation of God's people, right? Surely, or it wouldn't have been brought up in the first place. And so that's where we, we meditate and we think and we worship and enjoy communion. So let's pray. God, we...
do want to remember these things. We want to not look at them as if it's always some outside power trying to change and get us. It's really us. It's really what we want in the first place. But as we choose to fast, as we choose to start thinking through the disciplines of solitude, and as we start thinking through withholding certain pleasures from us to remind us of your son, I pray that we would also look, at, look hard on how we're responding to these temptations. That we would look hard at this desire in our hearts to be self-sufficient. That we would look hard at the desire in us to have parts of our life we get to choose whatever we please and then we have the gall to pray, oh God, bless that choice I made that is clearly against your way. God, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.